I came back out and I'm like shaking and I'm pale, you know, he's just standing there looking at his watch and, uh, I'm like, coach, I threw up and he's like, well, you better swim that off then. Scotch. Hey everybody. Welcome to episode 100. And Bane Day of Ooh. Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Sam, and I wiggle art a little bit. And today is October 7th, mm. 2017. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show. There's going to be profanity, and also we're going to talk about business. Yeah. Life. All sorts of things. All kinds of stuff. Uh, so if you just can't handle it. We're going to go deep, so grab your waders. Yeah. Buckle your shoes, mm-hmm. Pilgrim. Let's do this. <laughs> okay. Uh, also, Adam is is not here this week, so we're we are two humaning it. But we um, do have an update on him, which is that he is doing much better. Yes. He uh, apparently realized that he was basically he was experiencing the frog boiling phenomenon, wherein by slowly feeling worse and worse and worse, he didn't realize the extent to which he was feeling very bad. So, yeah, so now he, he's, he's in great. a state now where he has an incredible. Uh, cold mm-hmm. slash uh, sort of sore throat thing. Plus, his stomach is now wrapped around his esophagus. It's just one of the when it rains, it pours. And man. he's like, I've never felt better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but his, I think he's contagious, so he's mm-hmm. so he's staying home. I do want to talk about this real quick though, because I think uh, this seems like a family problem that we have, which is the inability to recognize when maybe we should get medical attention. Mm-hmm. So this happened. Now, with, with Adam, in this case, months gone by before he's like, maybe I should get this taken care of. It was more like years. Probably but, years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in my case, with the cancer thing, same thing. I thought I was fine. And yep. then I got the scan, and they're like, we don't know how you're alive. Well, we, we, we have a tendency to brute force our way through well, things. The other, either drugs or exercise. Uh-huh. The right? most recent one, that was uh, our mom. Mm-hmm. Turns out she literally has no rotator cuff. Yeah. She forgot about that. <laughs> She left it somewhere. It's gone. She's been using her arm. But the uh, doctor she's just been using thing. it. He's like, I don't know how. How is how? his arm on? How's this <laughs> attached to your body? So what's our deal? What's that about? I don't know. It's that. It's that. You know, Midwestern farmer background. Mm-hmm. You know, you just, just gotta get the work done. Yeah, we got the stories we have uh, of our of our tough grandpa. Oh my god, man. Well, maybe we'll tell him someday. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, it's October, uh, which October means something to us mm-hmm. as a as a studio because every single October it's like a hurricane. Yep. It's it's just it's not a month, it's a it's a sort of a debris flinging chaotic it's a storm. Turbulent storm. It's a temporal storm. So it's there's it's it, everything always happens all at once in October. And this is the crazy uh, thing is, is there's always no warning. This happens every single time. We'll all of be, a sudden, everything is due. So we were just hanging out <laughs> the last week of September. We're like, well, everything's going great. Things are going good. You know, we got everything under wraps. And then suddenly, just cruising. I think it was October 2nd. Yep. Things just started getting dumped. Yep. And we're like, oh, God. And then they just kept coming. So uh, we've been we've been handling a lot of stuff. Yeah, we've got so so Sam and Monique are heading over to California for business. Do business starting uh, tomorrow. So the day that the podcast goes live, it'll be they'll be in the air um, mm-hmm. flying over there. They'll be gone for a few days, um, and we have uh, Sam and I have been working on a couple talks, which which got approved for an important event, and we uh, we were given a. Four weeks to do them starting at the beginning of October. Um, Naturally. Yep. And we also have a very big uh, launch event happening pretty soon, Mm -hmm. which is in now a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. 
And we're, we'll be talking about that next week. It's not Scuffle Buddies for those. It's not Scuffle yeah. Buddies. <laughs> Just to clarify. It's not Scuffle Buddies. Um, but it's, it's, it's us bringing Crashlands somewhere new. Yeah. So that's all I'll say about that. But that's been a huge project in the works for a really long time. And um, we thought it was going to happen in like March. Yep. But nope, it's got to happen in around October because yep. October. Uh, so, so anyways, uh, and also the St. Louis Scatter Jam mm-hmm. uh, happened this uh, last weekend. And we were planning on attending. And this is actually one of the, I think we've only missed one other St. Louis game jam. Yeah, it was also going to be the first time that the entire like seven person studio is going to be around. Yeah, we and were then, so pumped. And then Adam was out because he's, well, he's got some holes in his guts. Yep. And yep. then, uh, yeah, then all this other stuff was just sort of just perfect storming, perfect Octobering all over yeah. us. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I was I had to go to a wedding last weekend, so I missed a day. Oh and my lord, trying it's to been um, crazy. So I think this this does speak to um, what it means to really be burned out. Mm. You know where because I think I think last week I had been going so hard on everything, trying to keep up that. Um, I mean, and you and you can see it if you do have access to the Scuffle Buddies patch notes, which I'm not going to broadcast the link to, but some people have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you can see, sort of like over the past two weeks, my patch notes went from you know like 15 to 20 items a day down to like five to seven, <laughs> or there or there would be like a couple days where I would not post patch notes because I was piling up you know changes because like the game just wasn't changing enough in that right. time, which I think does speak to uh, how stupid crunch is. Because it's yeah. basically what this feels like, right? It's like yeah. just 12, 12 to 16 hours a day, just constantly Dude trying stuff. to keep up with everything. Right. And really it just means, you know, you've only got a, a certain amount of, of juice mm-hmm. that you can deploy to solve problems. And once it's gone, it doesn't matter if you, if you keep staring at that problem for four more hours, you just, you, you're done now. Yep. You got to go to bed. Well, I don't know. Right? Interesting is uh, sort of post work day yesterday, because I was like, I need to work on uh, this talk in the evening. and Went home, but I was a little, a little fried just from, again, doing all this stuff constantly. Uh, so I was like, I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna take an hour and a half or two and I'll play with my dog, go for a walk with my wife, eat some delicious chicken. Yeah. And then make some of this uh, cream tea, which I don't know if anybody's been doing this, but I just found out that you can indeed, you put coconut milk or just milk, whatever, in a pan, heat it up, throw some tea bags in there. It becomes like the best caramel yeah. color. It's just delicious. Yeah, this is how tea is made in m- most other places, probably, actually. Well, I think there's a difference between, like, just throwing cream in. Yeah, no. Just, yeah, making the tea in, in the, the cream. In the cream is... And, oh, my woo. God. So I had that little ritual, you know, on the stove, just doing that, stirring some tea bags in, drank my tea, and then I was ready to go. Felt great. Yep. Just took a little two-hour break to get my juice refilled. Well, and we also, we also made a discovery last night, which is we've done a lot of talks mm-hmm. as a studio, and... Every time we do a talk, it's always one person sort of taking the taking ownership of it and saying, like, I want to give a talk about X. They basically turn into a hermit, right? Yeah. And so so we banish them or like go write it. Yeah. And what we've what we've kind of come up with is sort of for any talk that you see us give, you can assume that there was about an hour of prep for every minute of the talk. So if we give a if we give a you know forty five minute talk that took about forty five hours to to put together, refine it, practice it, uh, memorize various parts and then whatever. And uh, a large part of that prep is not in the presentation practice, but actually just in structuring it and coming up with what goes into it. So uh, Sam was working on a talk last night and I had just finished working on mine um, two nights ago. Mm -hmm. And so Sam was like, I'm going to work on my talk tonight. And I was thinking about it and I thought, 
What if I just jumped in and also helped write it, even though it's not my talk mm-hmm. and even though I'm not going to be presenting it, but wouldn't it be good to just have a second person there working on it with you as like a sounding board or to help you if you get mm-hmm. stuck on things or whatever? So Sam was like, yeah, sure. So was the, well, so it was, it was interesting because it was, it was just very fun because we're of course cracking jokes all the time. It's basically like an extended version of the podcast, but with a focused, you know, through line about what the, what we were talking about. Yeah. Uh, and then sort of as, as the, the person who's writing it sort of thunders forward on the keyboard, then the person who's sort of uh, observing and acting as the sounding board, um, can refine or ask questions or whatever else as it goes. And so like the, the quality just goes up. It's just yeah, a higher you, you bar. You catch a lot of mistakes. You catch a lot of weird structural things. Or just weird or, thoughts. Or like repetition. Like we had one thing where, you know, Sam was typing and I realized like I was just reading while he, so we were on Google docs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were over, uh, over voice on, on discord. And there were several times where Sam would be writing stuff and, I, and as he's writing, he's just trying to get his thoughts out. So he doesn't want to have to go back and reread stuff constantly, which is where a lot of the time goes. Right. So while he was writing, I would be reading back and looking back through stuff and trying to find connections between things. And there were several points where maybe it was like the same idea was sort of repeated in three places, but in sort of different ways. And so then I'd be like, hold on, let's quickly, let's like crunch these together and, and find a better way to phrase it. Um, and so, you know, it cut what would have been probably a six to eight hour process down to right. about two hours. Yeah. The comparative stuff for Seth was six hours, but also by yourself, not super fun. And that was yeah. the difference. Cause we both got, we got done at like 9 PM yeah. and both of us were like, well, that was fun. All so right. yeah, so you, so you <laughs> we'll can do about. that with someone for two hours and have a, a better thing right. and a good time or do it sad and lonely for eight hours and end up with something worse. Yeah. So I think in the future, we're going to, we're going to start doing this sort of pair pair talk. Well, the best part about it was that afterwards, both of us were like, why is this the first time we thought about it? <laughs> well, cause what? it's just assumed if you're giving a talk, then you're the one with the idea. Right. And you need to put it together, but it's just crazy. Like why, why, you know, get a buddy, get a buddy, hashtag buddy system. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we have, uh, we want to talk a little bit about what we talked about last week. Yeah. So last week we talked about satisfying versus maximizing. And if you've been in the discord, you've seen some, some continued discussion about the concepts and some, uh, some other points that we wanted to bring up. Yeah. There. And so, so last week in a, in the course of our, of our chatting about it, we kind of, we highlighted sort of the, the sort of goofy rifts that mm-hmm. pop up in relationships when people uh, essentially you have like a satisficer and a maximizer. So a satisficer is somebody just to recap is somebody who essentially uses the good enough principle when making decisions where they have a very specific set of standards or criteria for making a decision. Um, so if you, if you're a satisficer and you're like, I need to buy a pair of pants, I'm willing to spend $20 on pants and I'm just going to go to the pants shop. So the moment I see pants that a fit, like that have my measurements and that B are within my budget, I buy those pants mm-hmm. and that's the end of my shopping trip. Right. Um, whereas a maximizer will take the approach where they're trying to find the best thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So instead of, instead of adhering to a certain criteria and stopping the moment they find it, um, they will keep looking until they feel like they've hit what they believe the to be the best, right. the best decision. Um, and so one of the consequences of that is essentially that um, satisficers generally spend a lot less time making decisions because it's not really about the best. It's just finding the, the thing, thing. Right. So, so in the course of talking about it last week, uh, we talked a lot about, you know, what this might look like in the context of relationships. Mm-hmm. And we ended up sort of highlighting, trying like focusing on the comedic side of these sort of these rifts that can pop up when you have somebody who has a satisfying behavior versus somebody who has a maximizing behavior. 
And so we, we were talking to Adam uh, afterwards and he, and he correctly pointed out, he he's was like, like, you guys fucked up. He's like, you guys, <laughs> you guys, this is not the way to talk about it because the fact is that, that it's actually an opportunity to, to better understand how people think and it should be treated as sort of a way of, of creating understanding in relationships and finding better ways to work together. Not just like, well, I'm a satisficer and you're a maximizer. So I this guess, your problem I guess this is your problem now. Right? right. And the thing we talked about last week was the idea of like doing dishes or household chores mm-hmm. or whatever, where essentially, um, uh, what you'll, what you'll often see in relationships is where one person is, has really, really low standards for all kinds of things around the house and therefore just doesn't help. Mm-hmm. And then all of the household chores get offloaded onto the person who has the higher standard of cleanliness right. or, you know, whatever. Um, yes. We want to make sure we didn't actually feed into the notion that if you're the person who doesn't care that you should be like, Oh, I guess it's your problem. Yeah. And so, so, yeah, so what, so what went, un, what went unsaid last week was that, uh, if you, if you are in the position where you're the, where you're the satisficer and the other person is the maximizer, um, that doesn't just absolve you of responsibility to take care of shit. Right, right. <laughs> uh, I think importantly, it it opens up the opportunity for either doing things like um, trying to find ways to to you know divide sections of housework up mm-hmm. or whatever, so that the things that you care about are the things that you do, and the things that the other person care about are the things that they do. Which is that, for example, like in our household, uh, I, I do the laundry and then Sampy folds the laundry, right? Mm-hmm. So we have like, we, we sort of split various chores and stuff. Right. Or, or we try to do things like uh, if one person cooks, then the other person does all the dishes mm-hmm. from that, you know, because it creates a mountain of dishes, right? Um, and so we try, to, we try to split things up in such a way that, you know, you don't have to stress so much about those things. Well, even, but even if you say you can't. So in my case, like I want to be able to do the damn dishes in my house, right? right. And so- uh, a big part of that comes down to actually assigning. If you, I think the the core problem with the the satisfaction maximizer uh, sort of conflict basically becomes that that there's not necessarily there's not a resolution right in that particular uh, combo of of problems. There's not a way where you can say, okay, now I care more. It's just not necessarily going to happen. Or as a maximizer, you can say, okay, yeah, I'll accept less quality. Yeah, um, because both of you have both of you have a specific standard, and it's it feels weird to. Like if you, if you're a satisfier, you feel like you're you might feel like you're wasting time by right. by doing extra work when you feel like you've already done the job. And if you're maximizer, you're like, why is there peanut butter on this knife? Right, and so so I, th- so I think I think the phrasing that Adam used was something like, you know, you sh- you shouldn't be happy just like doing a bad job at things right. and then making that other people's problem. Right, but the interesting thing about it though is that uh, I think is you have to pull in uh, a third variable. So in the case of a relationship, the easy one uh, and the obvious one to me is is basically is literally the happiness of the other person, which yeah. is really the actually you know, the way to solve this problem anywhere. So uh, if you care, for example, about the quality of the relationship or the happiness of the person involved, which you should, which you probably should, yeah. then that's the sort of thing that if you're either, either a satisfier or a maximizer that you can use to say, okay, you know, in this particular instance, I will, for example, in my case, I will care more or I will, I will do the dishes to a higher degree of quality. Well, Not necessarily because I care, because I, I care about you who care. Right. And more importantly, you, you are, you are now satisfied. You're using the good enough principle for your relationship in the sense that you have a standard of happiness for your relationship mm-hmm. that you, that you need to make sure that you meet, right? You right. need to be, you need to do things for the other person and make their life better. Right. Um, and so you just, you can't. <laughs> so anyways, so there's not a free pass. So just so, tell people to do your housework. Basically. Right. So, so, you know, last week, I think the reason the conversation took this turn, I think this is actually an interesting sort of 
uh, introspective point on what it means to sort of be sitting here and, and recording a podcast every week is this is very free form. And really all we do is we just like have topics to, to talk about. Mm-hmm. And we often will like try to find a, try to find like an interesting nugget and then also kind of highlight what that means through like jokes and stories and comedy. Right. But in a lot of cases, you know, those stories might end up pointing at some like, the, like in the wrong direction or sure. pointing people down a wrong path. And so uh, we need to own that. We didn't own that mistake. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that was, sorry guys. Sorry. That was on us. <laughs> yeah. I think, and, and uh, Degeki pointed out actually in the discord, a really good uh, rule for, I think just uh, handling these sorts of scenarios, which is referred to as the platinum rule. So uh, for those of you who are interested in that, I'm not gonna follow up too much on that, but just go check it out on Wikipedia. It's the same, same sort of general idea, which is if you care about, you just learn how to care about other people's cares. That's it. Yeah. And then you do stuff for them. According yeah. to that. So it's not about, it's not about the dishes. It's about the other person. And respecting their well-being and happiness. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, import, this is a really important news item. Uh, we, have, we got quite a few more news items. Mm-hmm. So, we got, I mean, this is, go. it's going to be a day. It's October. Sam can touch his toes now. Yeah. So, well, it's good. I mean, let's talk about this for a second because I, there's a few things, <laughs> there's a few things in my life that I've always just been like, oh, yeah, I can't. I just like, I that. just can't. I just can't do that. And then a couple weeks ago, I was looking at my, my fitness goals. And I think we talked about this a little bit where I was like, I'm, you know, trying to figure out what to do next. And I realized that, you know, general flexibility is not a thing I've literally ever had. And so starting a week ago, week and a half ago, I was like, I found a 15 minute uh, stretch routine. And then about every two or three days, then I just do that stretch routine. Part of the thing I did last night when sort of my break recovery time after work. And, uh, and last night I touched my toes. And I think part of it was that my, my my dog. So I was leaning down to do my toe touches and he just came and just plopped himself and just laid down right where my hands were so he could be pet. And so I think I just spent more time there because I was petting this dog. <laughs> so you accidentally stretched. Yeah. And stretched then I was, out I was trying to like reach around the other side of his rib cage, you know, and in order to do so, I had to really stretch it out. And then mm. I touched my toes and I was like, huh. One week. of the many perks of dog ownership. <laughs> right. Now you can touch your toes. <laughs> well, I'm proud of you, Sam. Well, I mean, it I, took it, you. 20 whatever years. 20 years. But yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the, the greater point is, you know, there's a lot of little things like that, that I, I have personal, like you, ha- you have those weird hangups about particular things, right? Like, oh, it's just never a thing I've done or not a thing I do. Um, and this is what was, it was sort of just a laughable one. It is laughable where it's like, yeah, it's not impressive that you can touch your toes. It shouldn't be. Um, but I think from you just got to stretch enough. <laughs> really? Yeah. You just do it. Well, been, so literally the it way took me a week, well, the way that you be able to touch your toes is by just bending over for a while. <laughs> about 45 there's minutes. Not, there's, there's not anything particularly remarkable right. about it. So, uh, but yeah, so I, I think, you know, it's good to, it's good to remember that there's plenty of stuff that we all have. That's probably fixable. Yeah. And we were talking this morning earlier this morning about, you know, the idea of a, like a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset mm-hmm. and how ideally you have a growth mindset in everything where you're always like, I just need to put time into this and do better, right? But yeah, it is the case that no matter how no matter how good you are at that, there's probably still going to be some stuff that you have this you weird- overlooked. You have this weird mindset toward where you're just like, that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. It's just the way I am. Just can't touch my toes and you literally never will. <laughs> I wonder if it's like a personal scar from gym class. Do you remember that, uh, that stretch machine thing? I do. So they would test, every year they would test our flexibility and you had to- you like put your legs into this device and then you leaned forward and you push this dial up. Now, however far you got was what your score was. Mm. Um, and I was always on like the, just the bottom, 
just the bottom of the barrel. And you, this is just part of you. It's part of you now. It's, it's part of just an emotional scar yep. that you have to carry <laughs> your entire life. So I fixed it. I signed up. I signed up for a gym membership uh, about a year ago, and mm-hmm. they do a thing where they test for your body age. So this is <laughs> okay. so this is the thing where basically they they you know check out your like your body fat percentage, how long you can do a wall squat, how many pushups you can do in a mm-hmm. row, and they do flexibility tests. Okay. And your body age can only be so many years below your your normal human age. And I missed I missed the minimum by uh, by one year because I was one tenth of an inch too short in my toe touching. Uh, there you go. I mean, I, I went past my toes, but by a tenth of an inch, not, not enough, enough to be. Th- <laughs> yeah. Also, if you are subscribing to this weird body age idea, it's literally arbitrary. It's totally made up. It's not a real thing. Wait, how, how old is your body? At the time, my body was was like 26. That's pretty good. Yeah, and I, mi- I w- could have been a 25-year-old mm. body, but mm-hmm. I don't have that. You got I don't have that, those stretches. Because we all know 25-year-olds are incredibly flexible. <laughs> They're very limber. So, yeah. Um, also, we have, uh, so we're now two weeks into the merch store. Yeah. So we can talk a little bit about that. Um, so the merch store is over at shop.bscotcher.net. We launched it a couple weeks ago, and we were doing it's sort of a soft launch for our podcast listeners. So we have, like, mugs, posters, shirts. Mm-hmm. We do not have jorts, uh, but we, you know, Soon. we're hoping. We're hoping to get those <laughs> sweet, sweet cutoffs. Uh-huh. Um, and it's been pretty good. We've we've made uh, 22 or 20-ish total sales. Like a couple of them were kind of from, you know, people just, like, around the town. Right, right. Um, so we got about 20 sales and somebody even bought the butter box, which is like the big, the big package right, of all, just the stuff. all of the, all of the merch. And, uh, and Monique has been doing an incredible job with that. She's, uh, she even found some, she got us some custom tape that has the butterscotch yeah. logo on it. And she like throws a butterscotch candy into it, into a yeah. like hand, you know, writes a note. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, a lot of these things aren't sustainable in the sense that, if we got like a thousand orders, you know, her hand would fall off if she wrote a, a note in every one. We have to get like a stamp, you know? Yeah. It's like really. <laughs> Just a handwritten, handwritten stamp. stamp. <laughs> uh, so, but it's been, it's been really good. And so if you haven't, uh, if you haven't checked out the merch shop yet, that's over at shop.bscatch.net. Yeah. And my, they're, they're good. I was gonna say my favorite item is the mug that says, can we not? Because I feel like, <laughs> yes. I feel like. Just, man, just no matter who you are, you know, bringing that into a meeting at work or something, it's just, it's like, it's a power just move. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, there's a, it's been really interesting seeing everybody's, because people get the, get the stuff and then, of course, post it in Discord, but like show some pictures of whatever they got going on, which has been super fun to see because we haven't been able to do this. Um, and I think uh, uh, one of Maybe our people- you get to see some of our fans. Yeah. <laughs> and one of our people uh, in, in Discord said someone asked him, someone did ask him yesterday, he's got a butterscotch shirt. And yep. someone was like- Hey, what is that? And then and then they're like, oh yeah, they make good games. So it's a person yeah. new, right? So talk about making it visible. That was the yeah. whole point. So that's super cool. Um, and we have two more items to talk about mm. on the news. All right, what's next? All right, next up, let's talk about hedonic adaptation. Okay. So uh, I've been listening to I've Audible, Audible subscription. It's fantastic. You can, you know, listen to books. It's amazing, which means if you're like, I'm going to do some dishes, going to mow, going to, I got to go for a drive. You know, just, you could, if you're doing a mindless task where you normally just like don't have to focus Mind. on it at all. Uh, yeah. Listening to books is pretty nice. So I've been listening to the paradox of choice and this is where the satisfies or maximizer conversation mm-hmm. came from. Um, and there's also an interesting concept called uh, hedonic adaptation. And so uh, this is the idea that humans are very adaptable. 
And that's a sort of survival trait that we have that actually allows us to be incredibly resilient when things are shitty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, adaptability basically means, you know, no matter how bad things get, we are sort of standards for what is acceptable and sort of like where we find happiness just shift mm-hmm. along that spectrum. So, um, well, importantly, they shift back to the same place. They, they always shift back to the same sort of neutral level right. of like, okay, you know, like, yeah, like there's that comic of that dog where everything is on fire and he's like, this is fine. Right. right? Like that's basically what it is. Yeah. So, well, this is also, if you see, uh, there's plenty of cities for, for lottery winners. Um, anybody who like basically humans naturally can't actually forecast. They have really bad at what's called for affect forecasting, which is guessing how you're going to feel because a thing happened. People tend to overblow basically good and bad things and then also overblow how long the effect of that will last. Yeah. So anybody who's had something great happen to them or, you know, had a bad breakup or something like that, you know, usually it, it's uh, it is not as bad as you think for as long as you thought it was going to be. Yeah. And and this this applies to like everything in life. So if you think about somebody that like, gets a fancy new car mm-hmm. and first day, you're like, oh, my maybe God. It, maybe it's like the first really nice car they've ever had. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're just like, yes, finally, this is amazing. And they're drive. They're like, I'm going to go for a drive. Yeah. Right. And they just like go around, showing off their car. And then like two weeks later, yeah, it's just their car. It's just, you know, it's just how you get around. Mm-hmm. Right. Because uh, these things, they just kind of wear off. And uh, so there, there's actually a couple of really interesting implications of this, which is basically that one is that, you know, this adaptation thing is is great for when things are bad because you can sort of bounce back. Mm-hmm. And it's terrible for when things are good because you keep demanding things to be better, right? <laughs> or forgetting that they're good. Or forgetting how good they are. <laughs> right. And so um, so this this leads to, we've talked in the past about the idea of gratitude, about mm-hmm. like practicing gratitude. And how that is actually one of the things that is that is just universally applicable to everyone. That if you just do this thing where you just like sort of wake up every morning and just make a list of things that you're really happy about and that well, you're thankful very for. Very important though, it has to be a short list. Yeah. Because the what happens is if you demand that you list, so for example, if you say I'm going to list three things every day that I'm grateful for, which is what I do. Um, that's the proven way to make it so that your your overall view on your life is is generally just better and you have a better time. Uh, if you ramp that up to like 12, it actually goes the other way because what happens when you're on number seven, you're like, I can't think of anything else good that happened yesterday because most people just can't. Yeah. And so even though there was so stuff, just write down like five things, right. you know, three to five, three to five. Don't, don't go over that. Cause yeah. then you're going to start negatively affecting. Right. <laughs> He's like, Oh my God, I, I don't have that many things. It's one think. of those nuanced problems, right? Where you think it's it, to me, it's the, uh, everything in moderation example is like perfectly instilled. Right. Because, because yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so this, this is actually, so, so hedonic adaptation is actually why gratitude uh, works to improve your happiness because it is a, it is a constant reminder. It kind of like moves you back toward that feeling that you would have had when that thing first happened, that, that first good thing happened. Right. So uh, it, it snaps you out of that, that frame of mind. I think the second thing about it is that, you know, we, we've talked about the idea of miswanting, which is that, People are, like Sam said, incredibly bad at forecasting how a thing is going to make them feel. And they always overestimate how good a thing is going to be or how bad a thing is going to be, actually. And um, this is because people operate on comparison points. And uh, so, in other words, they if they if you think about like, oh, man, if I won the lottery, really what you're doing is you're comparing like your current circumstance right now and thinking about like the moment that you got that money, how would you feel? And you are correct that you'd feel real good, real, real good. Right. <laughs> uh, but what you don't think about is how am I going to feel a year after having that money? Like that's what people don't, mm-hmm. that's, that's the frame of mind that people don't put themselves in. 
And the answer is pretty similar to what you feel now. to what you feel right, right. now, um, which is why, you know, uh, billionaires aren't like still suffer from the same kinds of like, you know, depression and stuff as mm -hmm. everybody else. Right. Uh, because it turns out those things, like, people are just people no mm -hmm. matter what they have. Um, so that that idea of miswanting, it just comes down to having your comparison point of of where you think your happiness will be only forecasting it into the moment of the change and comparing that to your current state. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to sure about this because he's like, there's, he's like, there's this one thing that I am incredibly happy about all the time. Hmm. It's my backpack. Mm. <laughs> I was like, why is that? And he said, so first off it's waterproof. <laughs> it makes a perfect seal. Amazing. No water can get in there. And also it's, it's still, it's feels pretty compact, but it's still big enough that I can get my laptop in there. My laptop mm -hmm. is huge. Mm -hmm. And I was like, except there's a reason why you're grateful for those things. And it's because a, it rains, which means every time it rains, you're like, I'm glad my backpack is waterproof. Right, right. Uh, and the other thing is that your laptop is big. And if your laptop wasn't that big, then every time you put your laptop in your backpack, you wouldn't think about how big your backpack right, is. Right? right. And so, so these different scenarios, it's kind of like a gratitude practicing thing because these scenarios actually serve as reminders for comparing what it could be like to mm. not have a backpack that's right. exactly has Waterproof those features, perfect size. Right? Yeah. And so I think the same thing about my hiking boots. As soon as I walk through a puddle, I'm like, yes, because they're <laughs> waterproof. But I don't, I don't just think, yes, just like all the all time, the time right. when I'm walking around, right? It's situational. Yeah, yeah. You hit those comparison points where it does remind you of what could, what it could be like if mm. you didn't have that thing, right? So it's kind mm. of like those repeatedly being thankful for your right. situation. So Anyways, I think that's pretty interesting. And it also comes back to video games in a lot of ways, which... Right. Well, I mean, that's sort of the, the hedonic treadmill, as it's referred to. And he didn't, he, hedonic in psychology research just refers to the general affect of like happiness. Um, yeah. But the, the idea of the, the treadmill is just that you need to constantly be changing things and ramping the reward up oftentimes in order to maintain a high level of that, uh, that hedonic, like to get that hedonic balance up and over what it normally is for a person. And that's why you see in RPGs, uh, you know, the numbers always get bigger. You're finding like new, better loot all the time. You're getting like a new talent point, all this stuff. And right. the game, the game scales with you. Like your numbers get bigger and the enemy's numbers get bigger, but you still demand that that happens. Like you're still, if the game just said, Hey, you're level one, here's your, here's your three damage sword. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's now, now you're going to fight an endless stream of, of enemies, all of which take roughly the same number right. of hits. You'd be like, well, this is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes that is possible. So a game like Rocket League, for example, yeah. no number increases, but uh, the the skill cap on that is so high and the the overall antics of it are so enjoyable to just participate yeah. in that it's, I mean, it's like playing kickball or something. Like that. Yeah. And there's, there's still a level of, of novelty and feeling of, of things getting better, right. of things constantly improving. Because you'll, you'll pull off moves that you didn't know were possible, or you'll right. see somebody do a move and you're like, damn, and then you want to do that. Right. Thing, right. Remember, there's so, a really interesting take on this uh, in... Uh, Dragon Age 2, which I know I got a bad rap from a lot of people. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. I don't know if it's because I didn't approach it in the same way I approached the first one. Because I was like, mm. oh, this is clearly a different game. Um, oh, yeah. I didn't I didn't take it as like a sequel follow-on. But it's much more action-oriented and uh, still has a bunch of the sort of freeze-frame tactics and stuff. But they start you off in that game fully powered. Like you are, you, you're wearing this just amazing I remember this, set of yeah. armor. You have all of your abilities uh, that you eventually like will build toward later on. Uh, and then you lose all of them, like within the first spoiler, right? within the first like five minutes of the destroyer. Yeah, it's not really a spoiler. It's like the beginning of yeah, the game. So they, but they teach you, they teach you how to play with those skills and then they take them away. Um, and it was really interesting because actually earning them, earning them back in a way had like a better, had like a real good 
sense to it when I was like, mm, I had the, actually the opposite effect. Oh, you did? Yeah. Because as soon as I saw what it was going to be, I, I felt like the novelty of every new skill I got just wasn't there because I had already had it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like I, I wasn't, I wasn't gaining new skills. I was regaining shit that I'd already lost. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. 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 I could see the frame. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Okay. So, uh, there's one more news item. Whew, right, we got? October. Let's go. So this is, this is based, this is more of a story. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a parable if you will. Yeah. So we have a, we have a, a new, every now and then in the office, we have these kinds of like goofy slogans mm-hmm. that we, that we start throwing around to kind of like encapsulate an idea. And so hashtag buddy systems, one of them buddy system, which, which the reason that we thought about, Hey, why don't we, why don't we try tag teaming this, uh, this talk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, was because we've been throwing around the buddy system slogan mm-hmm. in the studio, which is try to try to find ways to collaborate with people more. It's basically the essence of the buddy system. Right. And so, uh, so this, this new slogan is put on the bucket. Yeah. Which, it, <laughs> it might take a little unpacking. Which, <laughs> put on the bucket. So, so this comes down to, uh, back when I was in high school, I joined the swim team mm-hmm. and I was 14 and, most of the people on the swim team uh, who were, well, everybody who was good had been swimming since they were like five. Right. Because there was, there were swim teams everywhere and I was never involved in those. And uh, so I, when I first started out, my times were, you know, not even vaguely competitive. Um, and so uh, at a certain point, I, I started learning how to swim butterfly stroke. And it turned out that I was like not great at it, but I didn't just completely die in the pool, which is how people tend to do butterfly right. at the beginning. So my coach was like, I, oh, maybe there's some potential here. He's not dead. Uh, and so, <laughs> so we, we talked about the idea of me trying to like really work on my butterfly stroke and get to swim at the state meet, mm-hmm. which means I would have to, I'd have like 10 years of catching up to do basically right. in yeah, terms of a year or two. And well, I had, I had four years in high school, but I started swimming butterfly my sophomore year. So yeah, two and a half years, right. three years. Um, and so once I had that goal, uh, my coach was brutal, like just, <laughs> just relentless. And I, and the, one of the biggest moments was we had, we had practice after school, uh, for a time, for a short time during the year. And at lunch that day, and when I, and I ate a bunch of hot dogs, okay, <laughs> ate a bunch of hot dogs. So there's some poor decision making yeah. going on here. And of course, lunch is at like 1230 and then swim practice is at like 330, right? So, so yeah, three go, hours try to pass them through. Three hour stretch. Go swim, uh, do the warm up, and then coach comes out with his bucket. He's got this bucket with a like a rope tied mm-hmm. to the handle. It's a big five gallon bu- or ten gallon bucket, whatever. It's like a like what you see from a hardware store. Yeah. yeah. And it's just a regular old bucket. It's not like a fancy piece of sports equipment. It's just a bucket. <laughs> and He's like, all right, buddy. He's like, everybody's going to swim 10, one hundreds, you know, so you're going to go, you're going to go down, back, down, back mm-hmm. 10 times. And he's like, Coster, get over here. And he brings me over to a separate lane. And he's like, put on that bucket. I'm like, what? <laughs> How? <laughs> he's like, he's like, tie that around your waist. You're going to do 10, one hundreds of butterfly with a bucket tied around <laughs> your waist. And you're going to be dragging a bucket down and back. And I was all, I was pissed because I was like, what the hell, man? Like, look, everybody else is just doing freestyle. Right. They're just getting to swim, you know? Why are you punishing me? Yeah. And he was just like, the way you become the best is by swimming harder than everybody else. So maybe it seems like it's not fair that you have to put on this bucket. But if you think about it, it's actually not fair to them that we only have one bucket and that you get to swim harder than mm-hmm. everybody else. So put on the bucket. 
So I put the bucket on. I did, I did four 100s. I jumped out of the pool and I was like, I'll be right back. I ran to the bathroom. I threw up because <laughs> it was horrifyingly dogs. difficult. I came back out and I'm like shaking and I'm pale, you know, he's just standing there looking at his watch and uh, I'm like, coach, I threw up and he's like, well, you better swim that off. Then. <laughs> you're late for, your, <laughs> you're late for your next, uh, your next hundred. So I jumped in, put the bucket back on and just kept swimming. And uh, I did end up getting to swim in the state meet um, in my senior year. And I think, I think the, the important takeaway from all that is, is, you know, you kind of hear these, like these goofy, like inspirational sports stories right. all the time, but, but they all have the same common thread, which is if you only work as hard as everybody else, then you will never do better than them. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially if you're starting behind. Right. And so um, if you want to, if you want to go somewhere, then you got to put on the bucket Yep, and you got, and it's just gonna suck a lot for mm-hmm. most of the time, and then eventually, you know, you come out on top. So, so that's that's our new our new uh, sort of stu- in in house slogan for basically when things are getting hard, and you're like, I just need to like really, I really got to into I this. Really got to go. It's like put on that, put on the bucket. It's just gonna <laughs> be hard sometimes if you want to really do well, yep. and that's just the way it is. So, all right, so let's get on to some questions. Uh, these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. So if you'd like to get your question on a future episode, you'll get over there, put your question in the box. Mm-hmm. First question comes from Retro Banana Man NL. Why do you limit the characters in the question box? I had to change hey guys to hey so my question <laughs> could fit. Why do, why do we do this? <laughs> I mean, probably because actually uh, if the questions were super huge and we have to scroll for a year to get everything but it turns out we still do now so that's true I think so I think the better answer is we uh, Adam built the podcast page two over two years ago two and a half years ago mm-hmm. uh, it took him like four hours he built yep. the whole thing from scratch and we just needed a text box we put it in there and at the time we thought yes we don't want incredibly long questions we just want to we want some quickies that we can just Correct. answer right mm-hmm. so uh that's basically it. Yeah. I we mean, have, we haven't really revisited anything about the podcast page. And it's, it's on the docket. It's on the know, docket. But October happened. So o- we got October. It's, it's down the docket. Yeah. So, uh, it's no, you know, no ill will. It's not that we don't want to hear, you know, what you guys have to say. It's more that we just haven't thought about it. And I mean, there's, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of beauty in, in being concise. So, you know, it's just, it's just, just consider it a challenge. Yeah. You know, put on, just put on the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> just just really pack in a real meaty question. Uh-huh, yeah. There. Every word counts. Yeah. All right. Degeki says, choices lead to events, which lead to choices. Is making the wrong choice possible? Is it just a matter of better or worse? How can perspective flip the definition? Could making the wrong choice actually lead to a better outcome than the right one? This is interesting. Okay. So uh, there's some really interesting psychology about personal narratives, which I think comes into play here yeah because and we, we've said this before but um it is true that you you cannot a b test the universe which means any path that you go down versus one you did not go down that's just your path now you don't know we don't even know what's gonna happen so there's a really interesting thing that happens when when you ask people to sort of retrospect about their lives which is there's a narrative there right there's there's always sort of like oh this happened and so i did this and then that allowed me to do this and this happened um even that even that swimming story i told i mean i'm pretty sure it didn't happen exactly like that because it was like a million years ago i'm just i'm just dredging i'm i'm recreating Mm -hmm. this thing from my new current perspective right right? but there's a lot of really interesting stuff going that goes into how your like your current mood even 
when you're looking, when you're retrospecting can affect what memories you pull up and then also how you sort of reshape them. And the important note here is just that your memory is, is complete nonsense for the most part. Uh, and very, very malleable. So if you pull up, for example, if you say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to remember this relationship I had and I'm going to purposefully remember it. Um, while I'm kind of angry, for example, so you got a bad relationship, you broke up with something. Uh, when you recall the events of that relationship, you won't recall actually all the, the good stuff about it. You're going to be recalling more likely the stuff that has that same sort of uh, negative affect attached to it. And you're generally going to recall it in such a way that makes you look like the protagonist. Correct. Right? So, well, this <laughs> so. is an interesting point because I think there's that question of, you know, is there, I, I definitely think there is is the case that there's, there are bad choices for sure. Uh, there are also better and worse outcomes, but the problem is that, you know, if it depends on the time scale you're looking at really, right? Because if you look over the, the whole, like the whole arch of your arc of your life and you're telling the story about it, everything makes sense. Yeah. Right? Everything got you to exactly this point. Exactly. And so you everything could, happened for a reason. Yeah. And the, <laughs> I think the thing people don't necessarily realize is it is, is the reason is something that you rationalize on the back end. Yeah. So for it's, example, it's a story that you weave back together. Yeah. And we also, we also know that, you know, for, for a lot of people, the biggest growth moments actually come from a lot of times the worst decisions or like being thrown into the worst circumstance, right? Uh, my own case with with being sick, if in the case of like our parents getting divorced and a bunch of other stuff that's happened in our lives, uh, the the sort of the stuff that you'd normally consider the bad stuff is oftentimes in retrospect. It's the stuff that helps shape you the most. The richest stuff, into right? Into something good. Right. And so I think it's just a weird thing because if you, if you shift the time scale, for most of these things, and this goes back to the hedonic balance question, actually, uh, it's usually very hard to, to as a person, to like maintain a negative viewpoint of an event that happened in the past as that event continues to recede into the past. Because you, you will be able to sort of continue figuring out how it is that that event is, has like positively shaped what you've been doing. Mm -hmm. And the truth is like the gratitude practice, that's actually what it does. So, for example, some of the times when I write, when I do that, that little gratitude practice either in the morning at night, uh, the thing that I'm that I realize I'm most thankful for was the shittiest thing that happened that day by hmm. far, because oftentimes it's like, Oh, uh, you know, I like this horrible thing happened, but, but as a result of that, I actually worked through this thing that I frankly just should have you know not been doing, or, right. uh, I got closer to this person who I had a fight with or whatever else. And so I think time scale has a really interesting component. I think, it. well, I think it's time scale on it, but it's also, it is, there, there's two parts to it, right? There's the event and then there's just what you do afterwards. Mm -hmm. It's it's not about like the choice leading to the event, defining whether the choice was good or bad necessarily, because there's a third factor, which is after the after you are confronted with the consequence of your choice, what are you going to do about that, right? right? Which is where, you know, Degeki says choices lead to events, which lead to choices. And I think that third part, that next choice after the event is the thing that really defines mm -hmm. sort of how impactful and what the, what the effect of that event is going to be Absolutely. as you get to decide how you're going to react to bad or good situations. Mm -hmm. Um, and whether you, you know, put on the bucket, rise to the challenge <laughs> right. or also, or, I mean, it's, and sometimes you are put into a situation where it's just, it is genuinely just like the most hard, terrible thing. Um, but, and then the, the decision might not actually be yours at that point. I think this is an interesting thing as far as, you know, sort of dealing with troublesome events of your past downstream is that, uh, there are ways like with, with, you know, modern therapy or just like a lot of creating a really good uh, network of, of friends and a good community that can help you through stuff to actually, again, reshape those events in your past that were either super dark or terrible, or whatever else into just a piece of your past. That's sort of like a piece of the whole puzzle rather than being this sort of standout negative uh, stone. Of yeah. And, and, and trying to figure out, you know, what, 
how, how to extract lessons from that mm -hmm. and turn that into something that you can use going forward to make your life better going forward. Right. Um, so yeah, it really, it's, it's not about choices aren't inherently bad always. Sometimes they are, but I mean, let's not, let's not, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> choices aren't always inherently bad or good. And events aren't always inherently bad or good because it's a combination then of, of just what your reaction to all that right. stuff is. And this is, I mean, it does actually kind of go into the, really the stoic philosophy, which is that basically things happen. What are you going to do? About what are you going to do about it is the most <laughs> important part. Uh, how you react to a thing is the only part of that that you actually have control over. So uh, if something bad happens, are you able to, for example, mine the silver lining out of it for yourself yeah. or is it going to be baggage? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we, I mean, we would assume that anytime you make a choice, you are doing so with the best information that you have at the time. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, cause it's, it's rarely that somebody is like, <laughs> all right, I could do these two things. I'm pretty sure choice A is the best thing to do. <laughs> I'm going to do choice B, <laughs> right? Like that just doesn't happen. People do the best with the information they have right. and the framing they have and their, you know, life perspective and the lessons they've learned and all that. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think it really helps to, to frame it as like a wrong choice or a right choice. It's just all about your reaction. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, so next question comes from La Destitute who says, I've been trying lately to improve my productivity and efficiency by a whole bunch mm. since I, which is about uh, 18%. That's how That's much good. that is. It's a good amount. Since I juggle a YouTube channel, game development, studying for IT certs, exercise, and more. Whew. Do any of you awesome fellas have any tips for productivity and such? So probably my first thing would be maybe, maybe, maybe shave down that list <laughs> of things to focus more on, you know, a fewer number of things. Well, Cause I don't know what and more entails, well, but, but before that, there's still a lot well, of my things. My big question there. is actually a time scale question again, Yeah, because I found uh, when I first started doing any of the self like productivity or self uh, help stuff, the focus, I, the focus that I had was so intense on a day, like the time scale of a day where I was like, all right, so all these things are important to me. Socializing, for example, which means I need to do every one of them, exercising, working on my game dev, all this stuff, uh, every single day. Right. And so <laughs> I, and I had this period, I think it was like a three week period or so where I, I just, I did, I did, I just packed everything into every single day and it was completely exhausting. So I think actually, was this when you did the Uberman sleep that schedule? was actually after that. Okay. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I, uh, the biggest, one of the biggest lessons I think for me personally doing, trying to hit a better stride with productivity is to identify the time scale that you're happy filling those various buckets. Like, I think it's actually totally fine to have that many things going on sort of in flight, but it depends on the time scale. Cause if you're trying to do every single one of those every single day, you're going to have a bad time. Well, it depends on your time scale and your goals. So for mm -hmm. example, like if you want to, if you want to make it, so, you know, it says juggling a YouTube channel. So if you want to make a successful YouTube channel, one of the things that's generally pretty well known at this point uh, about how to do that is that you need a constant content delivery, mm -hmm. right? Which means, unfortunately, that is something that if you want to do, if you want to have a successful YouTube channel, you might need to do it every day. Right. Um, or depending on the, for, or, like, or, or rather you'll probably have to even work on it every day, even if you don't get a video out right. every day, because it does take a lot of work. Right. And so, um, so, so some, some of these things do kind of demand different levels of involvement and in, in different timescales, mm -hmm. like exercise as well. You got to do it pretty frequently. Right. It's not like something you just do once a month and just like, hey, I did it. I'm mm -hmm. in shape again. Right. I'm good. Now. <laughs> well, the thing that helped me a bunch was just saying, I realized that I think my optimal sort of time scale for asking that question, have I filled all my buckets that I've got um, was somewhere between like seven, and 10 days. Hmm. If, every, if about every like 10 days, for example, I went to the gym like three or four times. I saw some friends like twice, uh, put in 
some amount of hours into game dev, read a book or something like that, then I was very happy with that sort of chunk of time. Yeah. But anytime I tried to reduce that because of the number of things I was doing. Burnout. Then I get burned out. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that is a good point, which is maybe, you know, if you can focus on a, on a particular thing that always helps because it allows you to not feel like you're always failing in some domain. Which is big because yeah, there's opportunity cost for everything that you're yeah. doing. Uh, so if there's anything that you really want to lean hard into, um, then just do that thing. And if not, then uh, have a longer time scale in which you're deciding whether or not you're doing a good job and sort of filling those buckets. Yeah, but really, it just depends on your goals. Yeah. So if 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 you are approaching these things from a hobby perspective, we're like, I just like you know tinkering and game maker. Yeah. I like I just like making YouTube videos Absolutely. for fun. I'm not trying to turn it into a career. I'm not trying to like become a, a hit. YouTube sensation or whatever, um, then just do whatever. Yeah. You know, cause then it's not really about productivity. It's just about having fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's kind of a different spin on it. Right. Um, yeah. So it really, it really just honestly depends on, on your goals and trying to evaluate based on what I would like to accomplish in these domains. How, what should my time spend look like on a daily or weekly basis? Mm -hmm. And, if I'm not there, what do I, I need do? to, yeah, what do I need to cut or add or, or whatever? So yeah, just maybe, maybe do that comparison. Mm -hmm. All right. Next question comes from Rampandapus who says, if Crashlands had been review bombed at launch, how do you think that would have affected your sales? Personal note, the extremely high review score for Crashlands in the iOS app store was what made me check out the game, the studio and the podcast. Well, so here's a funny note, um, sort of the reverse problem which is uh, particularly in the app store, our reviews were so high that uh, people started accusing us of buying the reviews. Right. <laughs> so that was a weird thing. Well, especially to... considering, I mean, our, our, our review scores were high on, on steam as well, but from, uh, from PC and like for, from desktop reviewers, like critics, like mm -hmm. legit critics, our review scores were far lower. Right. And so there was 75. A, yeah. So there's like this mismatch one. there. Right. Um, it's kind of like if you see like a Rotten Tomatoes and you're like, critics are like 18% and the audience is like 93%. And you're like, what? <laughs> it's a good popcorn something movie. Not much else, yeah. right? <laughs> Something weird is happening. But yeah, so I think uh, if we would have gotten review bombed, I mean, I, I assume it would have done something bad, especially during launch. Would um, it though? But I, that's the thing. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, because, because you know what happens when a game gets review bombed is a lot of people know about it. And then That's they have true. to buy it so that they can review buy, it. Right. <laughs> uh, or they have to already own it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, th I mean, to me, the 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 craziest example of all this stuff is No Man's Sky, yeah. and how still every day it's every day they get review bombed by thousands and thousands <laughs> of negative reviews, and that means they're making that many sales. So people are still buying the game. Mm -hmm. So, so I I honestly don't know if anybody's done a a real study mm -hmm. on whether or not review bombs hurt sales of the game or help because they, they or do, do nothing. They actually do give you extra press. Is the thing. Yeah. Cause controversy. It's great. generates news. Yeah. So, um, but I think, I think in the case that you're like a small potato person, like I think us in particular, if we say we've gotten review bombed by even like, like a hundred people at once early on, uh, no one cares enough about us to be like, Oh my God, there's a review bomb happening to this game that no one has ever played nor cared about. It's not going to be an article written, right? There's going to be no silver lining on that. Right, but the review bomb has to happen for a reason. Like there has to be a there has to be a horde of people mad about something. Mm -hmm. Like that's news, right? right. Th like that's going to generate news. I don't know what the thing is, right? But, um, I mean, because because I think the fact that you got review bombed is news because people love talking about 
outrage. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> so, it's delicious. So, and especially, you know, like Twitter is the greatest place in the world mm-hmm. to create like a rage echo chamber. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure lots of people would hear about your game through Twitter true, <laughs> if you're in the true. middle of a review bomb campaign. So, uh, yeah. So we actually can't say. I mean, it seems like a review bomb is bad. And it probably, maybe, it probably is in the long run because of the suppression of your right. um, of your sales. But it, it, I do think it stands to reason that it would generate some level of news some or interest. interest. Sure. Um, so who knows? All right. Angry Muffin says, since the launch of iOS 11, the whole damn world seems absolutely obsessed with augmented reality. Is this something you guys care about or think you may ever dabble in? I would love to dabble in it later on. Um, especially with like being able to bring in a similar way like Pokemon Go did, right? Being able to bring a IP that's already successful just as a game and then mm-hmm. sort of mix and match it for an AR thing. But I think I view it in the same way that uh, that the VR thing is, which is it's not necessarily like everyone keeps pointing to Pokemon Go as a, as an example of how AR is you know, can be done to make a bajillion dollars. But it's Pokemon. Well, and I think importantly, AR was not actually the thing that made it successful. It was the fact that people had to go out. Like, well, first stars, well, it, was it was Pokemon. The fact it was Pokemon, the fact it was Pokemon it was. but yeah. also the, the social proof of seeing people out catching Pokemon. They didn't have to broadcast the Pokemon out onto the world. And also, they didn't actually do it very reliably either. Right. You know, um, like I remember when I first booted it up. I was in my office and I was like, there's a Pokemon around. And I turn and it's just like levitating in the leg of my desk. <laughs> like that's not really augmented reality. You're just putting a 3d image of a Pokemon arbitrarily on a video, on a video. Right. Well, I think, uh, but I think <laughs> to me, it's still, it's still a very early, uh, I guess if you want to call it a different industry from something like AR, VR and video games generally, um, it's still very early and it's really cool. It's super cool. Yeah. But there's always that question of kind of like VR with VR, you have to wear like a helmet and goggles the whole time you're playing, you're like doing VR, right? Right. With AR, you have to like whip your phone around to look at stuff. Um, and so it's, I'm just not sure, you know, as far as the general comfortable use case for most people, I think it's a fun, it's a fun toy right now, I guess is the way I'd put it. Yeah. Um, I don't know when it's going to necessarily breach into like full blown true like market hysteria, or if this is similar to what happened with VR, which is actually the reason you're hearing so much about it is because- all the platforms are pushing it. Yeah. That's why all the platforms are very interested in AR and they're pushing devs to actually get more involved to make it, even though there might not necessarily be a big market for those. I think, I think it's because, you know, in in a lot of cases we're talking about uh, hardware manufacturers. Correct. Um, And so they like, they got to get people pumped about the next big thing. I honestly, my, my concern with it is more of, I don't believe that we need more layers of technology between ourselves and the world. (laughs) I think, (laughs) I think we're, we're reached a saturation point where mm. it's like, I, I bought a wristwatch, not because I don't know what time it is because I do have a phone that tells me what time it is, but more because I don't want to look at my phone right? <laughs> um, because, because my phone is not a single function device. And every time I pull it out, it's trying to get me to do stuff. It's got it. E- even if it's not directly sending me alerts, there's so many things. I can mm-hmm. do it. I can read a book. I can watch movies. Mm-hmm. I can check my email. I can do literally anything to communicate with people or to feel like I'm communicating with people. Um, and so when I open my phone to check the time, oftentimes I just will fall down these habitual rabbit holes right. of like just doing all these other things. In other words, it's, a, it's, it's because it's not a single function device. It's very distracting, mm-hmm. um, which is why I love pen and paper because if I, if I need to actually think about things, I need to get away from screens. I need to get away from things that can pull my attention away. Mm. And so the thing that 
I'm, I, I'm becoming more of a Luddite as I get older <laughs> because of the fact that, you know, growing up uh, pre-internet mm-hmm. and remembering what it was like to like look people in the eyes and just talk to them. Right. <laughs> or if you're sitting at like a stop or something. Everyone's just sitting there. So yeah. Or the, or the weird bit. kind of uh, like pride and satisfaction that comes from, because uh, I even like, I was I was driving before GPS was a thing, mm-hmm. you know, and that weird level of satisfaction with like looking at a map and being getting like, to a place. being like, how do I get there? Right. And kind of plotting your course and then actually just like looking out into the, <laughs> into the world and being like, there's that road I need to right. turn at. Right. And thinking about yeah. what you're doing. Um, whereas, you know, now we, we offload all that onto GPS. So I guess what's devices. your, what's your concern? How does AR roll into that? So, I mean, the, the thing about AR is that the, the trajectory that, it, that people are trying to push it in is sort of the Google glass, the hollow lens, basically these gadgets that you slap in front of your eyes. And now no matter what you do, there's always going to be some kind of a layer. Yeah. There's gonna be some kind of a layer of, of apps between your face and the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe there could be some fun AR games. Um, I am dubious that you can, that it necessarily, like, it's just different. It's not necessarily better, right? I'm skeptical that you could make a way better AR game than you could make just a regular video Mm -hmm. game. Um, which isn't to say you can't make a good one. It's just, I just think it's just a different yeah, platform, different thing, right? Yeah. It's like virtual boy versus Oculus versus game right. boy versus whatever. Um, and so I am not super pumped about just the concept of augmented reality mm. in general. People need to use their brains more and their eyes and their ears and stop <laughs> offloading things so much onto, onto apps and screens. Mm. So you're worried, you're worried about a future in which there's just... You ever more, see more Wally shit in your face? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's, you worried about Wally. That's augmented reality. You know, everybody's just floating around on their chairs with a screen between them and the world, mm-hmm. right? And that's just that's how they experience mm-hmm. life, right? So, which does, of course, sound weird coming from a video game mm-hmm. developer. <laughs> well, a friend of mine works in in software, and he was over the other day, and he was using there's some like uh, computer vision thing that he'd been working on on his phone, and so you can point it at stuff, and it'll tell you what it is. So it's looking around the, and it's like, it's like house plant. And and like, oh, like so chair. that's what that is. Yeah. It's like, well, this funny moment. I was like, I was like, okay. I mean, well, of course, I mean, I, I'm excited about these things because of the prospect of what they can lead to, not correct. just what they are. Right. Absolutely. Which is like, if, if a machine can look at something and know what it is, then that's obviously part of the path toward legit artificial intelligence, right? right? Of like general artificial intelligence, a, a machine that can exist in the world like a person and can learn and see everything and understand everything. And, um, which is super cool. And I think, yeah, I guess, well, that's where it's, it's going to put me. us into a position where humans become redundant. Oh yeah, for sure. But I think <laughs> where I'm at with AR thing is, is, is sort of, it's very, it is very cool. I'm, that's just where I'm at with it. It's, it's just cool. It's very cool, but I don't, I don't necessarily there's think there's a huge market opportunity there right now. Um, it, well, it has to reach a certain usability and practice practicality threshold correct you know and I think, I, even when google glass came out that was what five years ago yeah and people were like oh it's so cool and then nobody bought it because you know because it was freaky it? people are like videotaping your face all the time yeah. it's like stop yeah, well yeah I, I don't i don't want it to be the case that when i'm looking at somebody in conversation that they just have a camera pointed at me just right. the whole time right? it's just weird it's not it's not right but maybe that'll change you know kids these days grow up just point cameras at each other who knows 
Yeah. Well, I mean, they're pointing cameras at themselves constantly, but you know, that's true. Selfies. So, mm-hmm. what's the difference if somebody else is pointing a camera? <laughs> you're already recording yourself. You know, just get more get more footage while you're at it. So we'll see what happens. We'll see. I don't know. The the industry is constantly changing. There's there's a great article um, on I think it was PC Gamer mm-hmm. about uh, overgrowth. And they were talking about the fact that Overgrowth took nine years to develop. It's a game that just came out like this week today. Yeah. today. And it took nine years to develop. And they were like, this game was started development before the first Android phone. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so it yeah, hasn't even changed. Yeah, so it fast. hasn't even been a decade. And mm-hmm. I now have, you know, I'm, I have a Galaxy S5 and I, and that's, I'm Old like, I'm like four point. generations right. behind or whatever. Um, these amazing devices that we just all carry around in our pockets and take for granted, which didn't even exist when this game started. Right. Being <laughs> so, you know, projecting into the future is always weird because we're just always wrong about it. Yeah. So anyways, uh, so that's all the time we've got for, for this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hopefully we'll have Adam around next week. Yes, yeah. dead. We, he should, yeah. Unless, unless some other crazy thing happens. And then, it is October. It is, yeah. It'll still be October next week. <laughs> oh, God. Sadly. So. <laughs> it just keeps being October. Uh, anyways, so we'd like to thank our studio wrangler, Monique, and our producer, Fat Bard, for putting this episode together. And the B Scotch dev team, Andy Tifa and Sure, for having our backs while we record this podcast. Special thanks to the community moderators who keep our Discord and forums running. If you'd like to get more involved in the B Scotch community, Head over to our Discord server at bit.ly slash bsdiscord and come say hi. Also, if you would like to adorn your body with butterscotch merch, check out our shop. It's over at shop.bscotch.net. We got all kinds of sweet swag, including some fantastic bundles and, of course, the Can We Not mug. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, if you'd like to adorn our bodies with your swag, we have a (laughs) mailbox. Uh, So if you want to send us something, uh, you can head on over to mailbox.bscotch.net. And uh, we do have alerts hooked up to that thing. So we will know when your package arrives. Uh, so we will get it in a timely fashion. So don't, don't fear. Uh, also, we depend on great reviews to get new listeners. So if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, help us out by heading over to bit.ly slash Apple and give us a five-star review. It'll help other people find us. And it'll also help us promote the podcast onto other platforms. So thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.